let's, let's get on. Thank you so much for being here this morning as we open our Bibles again to study Christ in the tabernacle. And let me make a, a, a sidebar comment. One day I was discussing with some of the other fellows in the church what happens when the school of the word no matter who's teaching I remember when Bill taught I sent out email after email after email not haranguing but encouraging people to come to Bill's class and so when I say this it sounds like well he's promoting himself no I promote what is taught in the word of God And the class remains, you know, 60 people, maybe 65. And so we were talking about it one day, and I was making a comment about this and lamenting it. I'm sorry, but I lament that. And one of the fellows said, well, you know, what we do on Sunday morning in the celebration service is we're teaching the Word of God. And so people think, well, that's the teaching we don't need. And I said, no, no, we're not teaching on Sunday morning. And so the emphasis is this way. Let me describe it this way to you. Your child is in school. And there's a class every day. You know, the classes. So let's say English, since that's the most important class any of us have, have taken. Isn't it your most, aren't, aren't most of you, don't you like English the most? Well, what do you use every day to communicate? English is your most important class. Come on. How do you communicate? <laughs> and so, so your child goes to English. Hannah goes to English. But then every day there's also a general assembly where the principal speaks. You know, applying some of the things of the school and what we're learning. Now, both are important. Do we understand that? But how many of us would say that it's okay just to go to the assembly and not to the classroom? How many of us would be that foolish? And that's how I see this dynamic. And so I encourage you again. I'm not beating you people here. I'm thanking you. But again, be praying, be sharing, be inviting. I mean, we have a visitor here this morning because A.J. invited you, didn't he? Thank you, Don, for coming. A.J. invited him. He said, hey, hey, man, come. Bring people in. Why? Because this, to me, is the classroom activity that prepares us for going out there into that world so we're not deceived by the enemy, so we're not overcome by the enemy, so we're not broken and destroyed by the enemy, so the world doesn't flood us over, so we can be great and strong men and women of God. Amen? That's what we want. Because one day we're going to stand before the glory of God himself. And he is not going to ask us, how many termites did you kill last week? He isn't interested in termites, is he, Don? He's not going to ask Bill, how many cases did you win, Bill? 
How much water purification systems did you sell? You know what he's going to ask? How have you grown in my son? How have you been reflecting my son? Amen. So please forgive me if it sounds like I am haranguing and attacking you. I am not. It just is a huge concern to me that this church, we need to be about the Father's business in a much greater way than we ever have been before. Is it okay for one of the pastors to say that? I mean, can you receive it without being condemned and marginalized? Can you do that? Can you do that? Well, let's continue this morning as we're looking at the tabernacle and all the activities in the tabernacle as a picture that God has put among his people to show how an unrighteous people can come before a righteous God on the basis of first being declared righteous through the instrumentality of the tabernacle and the sacrificial system as administered by the high priest. And that's where we're going this morning. Because you see, everything that we have been discussing for the last several lessons having to do with the tabernacle and its structure and how was it laid out and the pieces of furniture and what does it all mean and these colors and these metals and these rooms. What does all this mean? Well, all of it are tools or means of God's accomplishing His purpose through the ministry specifically and only of the high priest. So this morning we'll be talking for the next, this morning, next week, maybe for the next couple of weeks concerning how is Christ man, uh, uh, pictured in the high priest. So this morning as we continue our study of Christ pictured, we're going to look at the person and the ministry of God's high priest and begin to see something about the high priest, hopefully, that helps to enlarge and give us a greater understanding and appreciation and a greater ability to walk with and to receive and to be living in the good of what this high priest has accomplished. So remember, after giving instruction for the tabernacle, except for two or three pieces of furniture, the Lord commands Moses in Exodus 28.1, and that's where we begin today with the Revelation of the high priest, the ministry of the high priest. In 28.1, the Lord says this to Moses, Bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. For what purpose? Why bring Aaron and his sons unto Moses? Because you see, God is establishing the singular most important ministry of Israel. This is the singular most important ministry of Israel, the high priest, the whole priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. 
and it begins with Aaron. And we're not going to go into all the detail of Aaron and the Levites and the various four sons of Aaron and which one does this. And I just didn't want to get into that kind of detail. Just want to kind of skim over some of that and go into some other things. So there will be issues about the high priest and the priestly order that we're not going to deal with. You see, it was not sufficient just to have a tabernacle. It was not sufficient just to have the furniture, the brazen altar, the laver. It was not sufficient to have the menorah, to have the showbread table, and to have the altar of incense. It was not sufficient to have the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. It was not sufficient to have those, except they were all there for the purpose of the high priest. They served the high priest. The high priest didn't serve them. They were there for the function and the person and the ministry of the high priest. And so in order for the tabernacle to function according to God's purpose, in order for the tabernacle to be God's earthly dwelling, remember, I will dwell among my people. And there are several places in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, remember, where the Shekinah glory of God comes forth out of the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat, and God is revealing His presence and leading His people from that location. His, his earthly throne upon the earth, His earthly throne is in the tabernacle. But in order for it to be that way, it needed the ministry of those whom God had set aside, set aside being holy, to perform the various rituals attached to the tabernacle. So it needed men to function in a way that God had called them to function. And in particular, the tabernacle required a man, a man who would act as the mediator between God and his people, remember, his sinful people, in order to offer the sacrifice of the blood for the forgiveness of their sin so that God could count them as not guilty for another year and as a result of that, would continue with them for another year. You see, this relationship of God with Israel was a yearly probationary issue. It only lasted from day of the Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement. And so the putting away of Israel's son, the acceptance of Israel as God's nation, the averting of the wrath of God upon them because of their sin, was the result only of the Day of Atonement sacrificial activities by the high priest. And so when the priest accept, when God accepted this sacrifice by the high priest, then he declared that nation as acceptable to him until the next Day of Atonement 12 months later. And so you see, there was never any ending to the sacrificial system. It had to continue and continue year after year after year. And it continued on the basis of the effect of the person and ministry of the high priest. And it was never known from year to year whether God would this time not accept the sacrifice. Suppose this time God says no. Then the nation, you see, is in a terrible fix. And so there was never any kind of durable, what word do I want now? Durable uh, uh, security. There was never any durable security in Israel among the people. The security was based on every year on the Day of Atonement. Would God accept 
the sacrifice on our behalf for another year. Now, how many of you would love to live under that system? And the reason I'm emphasizing this this morning and the whole morning is this. We will go into the book of Hebrews a little bit in the next week or so. And what I think the Lord wants to do this morning is to make sure that we see certain and the most basic element of all concerning the high priest. This morning is the most fundamental issue and element of the high priest, the most fundamental relationship, the revelation. And we need to get this into our spirits and our minds very deeply so that when we go into Hebrews, we will see something, hopefully not for the first time, but hopefully a little in a little larger way. So if we were in a system that allowed us to have security, security eternally so, or a system that allowed us to only have annual security, which one would we prefer, the first or the second? The first or the second? The first. And you see, that, if you know anything about Hebrews, is the issue with Hebrews. We in Christ have eternal security before God. Amen? Amen? Don't go back to a system which only gives you what? Annual security based on the efficacy of one sacrifice and one man who is an earthly sinner just like the rest of us. That's what Hebrews is all about, if you would. So you see, everything depended on the mediator of this one man. And who is this one man? This man is the Lord's high priest. Taken out from all the priesthood, the family of Levi, the, the sons of Levi, is one family, the family of Aaron. And the firstborn sons of Aaron through the generations, these will be the high priests going forward. Now, it always didn't work out that way, but that was at least the, the general layout of the high priest. A priest is a man. I mean, how many of you have come out of Catholicism? Well, then you know what a priest is. A priest is a man called, set apart, and anointed by God to administer the divinely appointed sacrifices and ceremonies of worship of the Lord. Right? And so you remember in the Catholic Church, you took what on Sunday morning? Communion. What is the communion? It is the sacrifice, they call it, of the Mass. It is the sacrificing of blood over and over again. And in the Catholic theology, if that sacrifice fails, if for some reason it doesn't happen, if the Eucharist, you see, if that isn't transformed, remember trans, um, transubstantiation, if this doesn't happen, then you are not participating and getting the good of the body of Christ. Are you, are you familiar with this? Are you all with me on this? And so we see that same issue in Judaism as we study the high priest. So let's look at it. The need for the Lord's high priest. The hope of the nation the hope of the nation rested on the Lord's acceptance of the sacrificial offering of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. That was the single most important day for Israel. 
Passover is a very important day. But the most important day dealing with the sin of the people and their acceptance before God was the Day of Atonement. Israel's very existence, and in fact the existence of the entire world, our existence, Israel's existence and our existence as God's people and its hope for future blessings depended upon the ministry of the person, the work of the high priest being acceptable to God as sufficient to assuage, you remember, to put away what? His wrath for the forgiveness of their sin in order to obtain the mercy of God. Now remember we talked about that. We talked about the brazen altar where the goat was slaughtered, the blood was shed. And then we talked about the blood of that goat, of the lamb, coming in, being brought into the Holy of Holies. We'll go into more detail later on. And that blood being sprinkled onto the mercy seat. That is done by the high priest once a year. And if that is acceptable to God, then the people's sin are put away for another. You notice I say put away. Have you noticed I said put away? Because forgiveness of sins is not given until another high priest comes. It's put away. It's as if it were stored into a storage compartment over here. It's put away for another year. It's not held against them for another year. They're not under the condemnation of that sin for another year. So it was in and through <clears throat> the person and ministry of this high priest that the people were able to come into the presence of God. Because you remember, only the high priest could come into the presence of God. Anyone else would be killed. The nation's ability to draw near to God and to live, to draw near to God and to live, rested upon solely upon the ministry of the Lord's high priest. Now, as I go through this, hopefully some of you who know something about Hebrews can be recalling some of the verses in Hebrews that relate to this. And let me encourage you in this. As we talk about the ministry of the high priest today and next week, let me encourage you, open the book of Hebrews, you know where it is in the New Testament, <clears throat> and begin to read through it. Because I would like you to track with us what the New Testament is saying about the ministry of the high priest and the picturing of Christ in this high priest. Because of all the books of the New Testament, Hebrews is the most direct and specific revelation of how the high priest of Israel and the ministry and priesthood of Jesus Christ relate and come together where there is difference and where there is distinction and where there is uh, what um, cohesion or whatever. I can't find my word right there. Now, why is this the case? Why is it that everything depended upon the high priest? Why? What is going on here? What is God telling us that if this man's character and ministry fails? Did you just hear what I said? If this man's character and ministry fail, because when we look at our high priest, we better be very careful not just to look at what he did on the cross, but when he went to the cross, why was that sufficient? Okay? We need to know why that was sufficient. And so why did everything depend upon the character, the obedience, the perfection, 
of this high priest and the work or the ministry of this high priest for the putting away of sin, for the dealing of the wrath of God. Well, we go back to where to find out. Where do we go back to? Genesis. Genesis. We go back to Genesis. In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, you remember those verses, let us make man in our image, and he passes through and he gives some of the mandates. God had decreed that man would be his earthly representative. Now, do I have that in your notes there? Underline the word representative. God had decreed that Adam, and not only Adam, but in all of his generations following, had the fall not occurred, that man, that humanity, would be his earthly image, his earthly representatives. But it began with one man. And so that Adam would be his earthly representative to what? To work and to keep God's garden. Now, it is very important. Genesis 2.15 is very important because we'll see that it has to do with the Levitical practice in the tabernacle. And you'll see that in Numbers, remember, 3. I think it's verses 7 and 8. You'll see that same work and keep brought forward in Numbers as the Levitical priests are given their duties into the tabernacle. So it has to do more than just hosing the garden and pulling the weeds and moving the flowers around and, and mowing the grass. That's not what this is about. This is about tending the place where God dwells. It's about tending ourselves and tending one another and tending to our ability to obey God and the way we're walking together. And so they were to work and keep the garden. As he subdued and subdued and ruled over the earth. Remember 128, subdue and rule over this earth. As God's image bearer. Why? So that the earth would one day become filled with the glory of the Lord. Because you see, from Eve, Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, from the Garden of Eden, what was to happen? The Garden of Eden was placed on the planet in a very small location. Outside the garden is in the field. The field, the rest of the world is out there. And so through Adam's obedience over the generations, as these generations of obedient people and the progeny of Adam would continue to grow, they would begin to, they would begin to take over and expand the Garden of Eden throughout the whole globe so that one day the earth would become God's Garden of Eden. But sin, you remember, came in. Because God wanted to have a world filled with people who would be His image bearers. Therefore, Adam was created to be God's representative. And the head, the federal head, the federal head of all of those who would be God's priests and kings upon the earth. And so all of it depended on Adam's obedience. So what do we mean by the, represent, or the federal head? What do we mean by that? In Adam, where were, where were we before we were born? In our parents. Where were they? In their parents. Where were they? In their parents. And how far do we go back? The entire world of people were in Adam. And so when God spoke to Adam, he was speaking not only to a man, but to the entire world of everyone who would ever live. 
And when he told Adam, you are to be my image bearer, you are to be obedient, you are to rule, you are to subdue, you are to be prolific, you know, fruitful and multiply. He was saying this to the entire world of people, to everyone. When he tells Adam, you're going to be my representative, he is telling everyone this. But Adam is the head of the entire world of people. Very important to see that. He is our representative and he's our federal head. Do we get that? Do we understand that this morning? In Adam, every one of us were contained. And so when God gave command to Adam, we were there. He was giving command to us. It is a matter, you see, of location rather than a matter of activity primarily, which we'll see. And so as such, God decreed that Adam was the first the head of all humanity, so that he stood for and he acted on behalf of all his descendants. Now, before you and I were born, suppose your mama or your daddy, they were 18 years old. They're not married, but your mom and your daddy. And one of them commits suicide. Would you be here today? How many of you would be here today if one of your parents before they were married committed suicide? Why? Because what they did affects you. You're in them. And so they stood for you. Their activity impacted us. Do we see that? In fact, today, those who take drugs and alcohol, the mothers who take drugs and alcohol, what is the worry? What is the worry in all that if she's pregnant? that her child will what? Be damaged. You see, because the parents stand for, they represent, they impact what is going to happen in the children. And so in a spiritual way, this is what God has determined for all of us. And this is what Adam stood for. He was the first, the head of all humanity, so that Adam stood for and acted on behalf of all his descendants. You see, this is why Romans 5.12 tells us this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through Adam, through one man. Remember Genesis 3.6? Sin came in. Just as sin came into the world through Adam, through one man, and death through sin. Death is the curse or the result of sin. And so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. That's called original sin. And so we were born, you see, with the genetics of sin. We were born with the genetics of sin. Why? Just as all of us were born with a genetic makeup physically from our mom and them. Anybody in here, you didn't get anything from your mom and them? That you just, it jumped generations and everything you have is from your <coughs> grandparents? No, we have, that which we have is a, amalgamation, a collection of our ancestors, of our ancestors. And so sin is the same way. We have inherited, if you would, the genetics of sin because of our father Adam sinning. And when he sinned, everybody in him sinned. And sin was passed to the entire world. How do we know that? Because death, everybody dies. So this means that when Adam failed, all humanity failed in him. 
When Adam failed, what? All humanity failed, what? In him. Now, you begin to see the issue and the significance of representation. Are you with me on this this morning? What does this begin to say? If Adam sinned and we were in him and God counted all of us as sinners because we were in Adam, this is before you sinned. You see, our condemnation is never because of what we do. It's because of whose we are. It's whose we are. It's a matter of representation or relationship. You see, the activities of sin are the result of our being in Adam. And so we're not going to hell because we're stealing and we're lying and we're homosexuals and we're uh, degrading and we're doing this. And that's not why people go to hell. This is why when we discuss salvation with other people, we have to be very careful not to say, those people are going to hell because they're doing this. <sighs> no, they're condemned because they're an Adam. And you say, well, man, that's not fair. Well, we better get off that kick. Why? Because as much as we were condemned because we were in Adam, now because of the cross, we are saved because we are in Christ. Now, how did we get in Adam? We were born naturally in Adam. <gasps> and how did we get in Christ? We were born again, supernaturally, by the Spirit. So God took us out of the family of Adam, and he placed us in the family of his own son who paid for all of our sin at the cross so that we are determined and declared not guilty so that we can become the sons of God. Do we see? This is the basis of our salvation, representation, not works of righteousness or merit. Do you see why this excludes anything on my part or your part to be saved? We receive what God has done by faith, but we don't merit it to try to get it. Do we see that? Do we see that this morning? Representation is extremely, in fact, it is the most fundamental, I think, the most fundamental doctrinal issue of the Christian faith for us. Representation. Headship, if you would. You see, this is why God promised to raise another Adam. Remember in Genesis 3.15? who would accomplish his will through his obedience to the shedding of his own blood, thus saving his people from their sin. If God's purpose in Genesis 1.26, let us make man according to our image after our likeness, is going to be successful, and it will. Why? God has decreed it. The only way it can be successful is that in what Adam did and we were in him as our representative God has to raise up another Adam to live perfectly where Adam failed and then to be the representative of his people having lived perfectly and then paying for all of this sin and putting that sin to death in the grave so that death and sin remain buried as to the penalty and to the 
justice of God and we have to be he has to be raised up in righteousness in a new body so that we can be raised up in him as God's new humanity you see representation this is how it works this is how it works however until the Messiah this high priest king would appear Israel needed a priesthood and specifically it needed the high priest who would represent them the people before God who would be able to carry them into the presence of a holy God as their divinely appointed representative to make the sacrifice for the atonement of their sin on their behalf and for them you see the high priest was to officiate the shedding of the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement and you're gonna find out what the day of atonement is in the festivals when we get to that in a few weeks officiate the shedding of blood on the day of atonement on behalf of the entire nation so that the very existence of the nation depended upon the high priest as their legal representative before God their legal representative before God well how could a high priest who is himself tainted with sin come into the holy of holies well we'll find out that the high priest first made sacrifice for his own sin so that God declared his character as not guilty of sin so that when he went into the holy of holies as our representative a man who was not guilty of sin whose sin had been if you would put away from the presence of God was able to come into the God's presence and make sacrifice for the sin of the people and what does that remind you of of another man one day who was without what sin you remember where it says he was without sin some of you may remember that in Hebrews he was without sin so he who is without sin can bear the sin and the guilt and the whole nation before God at the cross the brazen altar so that he can take the blood of the everlasting covenant in Hebrews 9 into the sanctuary not made with hands but the heavenly sanctuary so that as the high priest comes out I'm getting ahead of myself but it's okay out of the tabernacle and you can hear the tingling of the bells at the bottom of his robe and the people would rejoice again so that when Jesus comes out you see of heaven and becomes a man risen then he can take the blood of the everlasting covenant as our high priest into the sanctuary made without hands and return to the people and Jesus can say <clears throat> I'm going to Galilee to meet with my people tonight Sunday night uh, church I wonder if Sunday night church is really the biblical pattern <laughs> You see, the high priest, when the high priest approached God with the blood, the blood, the Lord saw the entire nation approaching him. Do we see Christ in this? When the high priest came in with the bowl of blood, there's the blood of an animal. What does God see in it? Represented in his blood is the blood of another lamb. John 1, 29. 
And God sees that way before it happens. And when God sees that and that blood is sprinkled on that seat of mercy that lid over the Ark of the Covenant, God declares that everybody who is represented in that bowl of blood is forgiven or their sins are put away for another year. And that whole nation is represented because a priest stood for the whole nation. And we'll talk about how that happens when we look at the garments of the priest next week. You see, when the Lord accepted the sacrifice of the high priest, he was accepting the sacrifice on behalf of the nation because the high priest stood for the nation as their representative. I am repeating myself purposefully over and over again because I want you to get into your heads the understanding that everything depends upon representation or position. The nation was in the high priest when he made sacrifice for sin. If the offering of the high priest failed, then the nation failed because it was represented where? In the high priest, the location. What is the major revelation that we find here? Our salvation, all of our hope, all of our blessings, all of this is the result of one truth primarily. It is a result of our position in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is a result of our position in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is not the result of me looking for Jesus and I found Jesus and I called upon Jesus and I got him to save me because I exercised faith. It is not that. It is the reverse of that. It is me not looking, not caring, not understanding, having nothing to do with, not wanting at all, but God pursuing me by His Spirit and saving me by His Spirit. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, God had me and each believer in His mind, having put us in His Son. So that when Jesus dies on the cross, Galatians 2.20, we were where? In Him. And He was representing us so that the payment for sin that He paid at the cross, God put on my and your ledger and wrote across it in the blood of Christ, paid in full. Colossians 2.13-15. Don't you see? You understand, it, it, it totally eliminates our works as merit. Totally eliminates any work as merit. So why are you saved this morning? Because before the foundation of the world, you and I were where? In Christ. And we didn't even know it until we got saved, amen? Then, whoo, look what happened. And we think, man, it's something I did. Well, it's understandable, but when you begin to learn, and it's, wow, look at the grace. It's because God placed me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, quickly, someone answered me this question. Other than just the love and all that, specifically, why did God put you in Christ? Why? No, no, I understand for the purpose and love, but, but why? What about you? What is it about you that God put you in Christ? I mean, but, but why did he choose to? Why, what, what about you? What about me? 
I know, but why about me, me? What is there in me and you? What is there in you, James, that God stuck you in Christ? Because you needed it? No. Not because we needed it. I don't know, Bill. I can't answer it. Can you? I can't answer that. Why does God have a people in Christ before the foundation of the world? Is that called what? Grace upon grace. Am I, do you understand this? Representation, grace upon grace. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, 3. I'm going to, Ephesians 1, 3, I'm going to just read a couple of the verses in here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Number four, verse four. According as he has chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Verse six, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. You see, our salvation is based on position according to the predetermined will of God before the foundation of the world. Thems who don't like predestination are fools. I'm just sorry. Because predestination is God's means of affecting and carrying out His decreed will. And predestination means this, that what God has decreed will come to pass. Amen? So I love the word predestination. This is why those whom God has called will be saved. Why? Because he calls those whom he has placed into Christ before the foundation of the world. He's not calling people and hoping that someone will accept him. And if they don't, well, they just didn't. God calls only those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ, when they are called, will be saved so what is your primary prayer for the unsaved father i pray that before the foundation of the world you have chosen and start naming them i pray that before the foundation of the world i prayed this for my grandchildren over and over again i used to pray father i pray that and i would name my grandchildren that you have put emily and jonathan and anna and ellen into christ before the foundation of the world and that you will bring this about very quickly in their lives you see the relevance and pre prevalence of this doctrine of position is attested to that in 77 times in the new testament in christ is a prepositional phrase remember prepositional phrases they're very important you know i didn't even say in whom and in him and by whom and through whom just the word in christ that prepositional phrase 77 times in the new testament in whom 13 times so this revelation that foreshadowed the, the revelation that is foreshadowed in israel's high priest was our position in christ when he officiated the sacrifice on the day of atonement for our sin showing that we are in christ when jesus went to the cross our placement into Christ had nothing to do with our merit, but with the predetermined decree and will of God who placed us into Christ. In love, He predestined us. Nothing about us. Everything about the mystery and the glory of His own will. Amen? Next week we'll talk about the garments.